Um, as Andrew said, my name is Aubrey. I'm on the team here at Celebrate, and he asked that I just share with you a little bit this morning about intercession and how it has played a role in my life. So um, intercession, by its simplest definition, is just what Andrew said. It's praying for other people. And I think that's really important for us to remember um, as we talk about intercession, because if you're like me at all, sometimes that's kind of a big churchy word, and it can be scary. So, um, But I think if we just remember, it's praying for other people. That's all it is, um, and all of us can do that. So I want to share um, yeah, about my first exposure to intercession. Am I getting a lot of feedback? Yeah. Is there anything I can do? Am I okay? All right. Um, yeah, so my first exposure to intercession came at a really, really young age. And you would think that through that exposure, um, it would help me to understand it better. But in fact, I didn't feel qualified to be an intercessor. Um, I didn't feel worthy of being a person who could stand in the gap for other people to seek the Lord on their behalf. Um, it kind of did the opposite for me. So I'm going to share with you this morning a pretty personal story from my childhood. It's one that um, our family doesn't talk about much outside of our family, but I'm hopeful that it's um, helpful to you um, if you are someone who struggles with it, if you are somebody who struggles with your worthiness or your ability to go to the Lord for someone else. My hope is that you'll be able to see what intercession could look like in your life. So I was um, six years old when my little brother was born. Uh, there are three of us kids. I am the oldest, and my sister was three. So we were just at the perfect ages to have a little baby brother come along. We were super excited, wanted to be helpful and just be little mommies to him. Um, when he was about eight weeks old, um, I was in one of the bedrooms of our house with my mom, and we were folding cloth diapers. So if that ages me at all, he had cloth diapers. Um, but we were folding those, and my brother was actually in on my mom's bed. They had a big king-size bed, taking a nap. And we heard him from that room um, wake up, start stirring. So my mom said, hey, would you go, would you go get him for me? So in my six-year-old helper mind, I thought, oh, that means I get to go get him and pick him up and bring him to my mom. What I now know is that she meant just, would you go sit with him until <laughs> I can get there? So there's a little miscommunication there. Um, but I went in, and I climbed up on their big bed. And I do want to share that um, I don't have a great memory when it comes to my childhood. Um, I had a fabulous childhood. My memory's not great when I go to think back on things. I can't remember big chunks of events that happened. But this particular day, this 10-minute time span, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, Crawled up on the bed, scooted across to get him, picked him up, and I got up, I was on my knees, and I started scooting toward the end of the bed on my knees, so if you can picture that. Um, I got to the end of the bed with him in my arms, and I picked up my leg to throw it over the edge of the bed, and my foot got caught in the sheets. Um, and we both tumbled. And I remember, even as a six-year-old, thinking, catch his head, catch his head, catch his head. And if I close my eyes, I can still see my hand on the floor trying to catch his head. And I didn't. I missed. And he hit the floor. He started crying. And my mom came running in. What happened? What happened? She picked him up, and she told me to go. She said, out of the room. So I went across the hall. <clears throat> and I was sitting there on that bed, and I remember 
seeing into the bedroom. My mom was holding him, and she was just hysterical. He was screaming, and I saw her pick up the phone off the wall, and that's all I remember. So the rest of this story I know just from our family, talking about it through the years. Um, he was rushed to Omaha Children's Hospital with a fractured skull and swelling on his brain. Um, they were going to monitor him overnight, is what the team of doctors said. They were waiting for a pediatric neurologist, uh, neurosurgeon to come that specialized in operating on babies of that size. Um, he couldn't get there till the next morning. My parents were told that they couldn't hold my brother, um, except for my mom to nurse him. And um, this team of doctors tried to prepare my parents over and over again. They told my mom repeatedly, if he lives through the night, if he lives through the night, you need to prepare yourself because he's going to look different physically. He's, his head will be swollen. His face will be all bruised. But you also need to prepare yourself for the fact that he could have mental and physical disabilities for the rest of his life. So being a mom now, I don't even know how they walked through those moments. Um, but that's when my mom says that the prayer warriors of our church just descended on that hospital. And through the night, they came in groups of five to ten, and all night long were praying for him. They couldn't get into ICU where my family was at, so they stood in the hallway with their hands up against the doors and prayed for him all through the night. Um, the next morning, the team of doctors came into the room with this special surgeon. And as he was looking at my brother, he had to ask the other doctors in the room which side of my brother's head had been hit. Because not only was there no swelling, there was no bruising. He didn't have a bruise on his head. So this specialist ordered a second scan to be done. Um, the scan they had done the day before showed that the plates in his head had come apart. They had broken apart. And that morning, they had come back together. So there was no surgery. There was no drilling. There was no draining. They were sent home and told to come back a month later for a recheck. So those bones that had separated and then come back together a month later had grown back together. And he was perfectly fine. So from a young, young age, I knew the power of prayer. Um, he had, God had shown up in this miraculous way for our family. So I, this is what I knew growing up. We talked about it. We talked about God and his power and how miraculous he can be because we had seen it firsthand. So you would think that I just grew up with all the confidence in the world to never doubt God, to never doubt his power and his ability or what I could do, what God could do through me if I just prayed to him. But instead, I couldn't, I couldn't be an intercessor because I wasn't spiritual enough. I wasn't worthy. I didn't know the Bible enough. I wasn't a pastor. And I don't know, maybe some of you can relate to that. Um, but God has gently been showing me through the years that I didn't have to be any of those things to be able to stand in the gap for somebody else. So fast forward many, many years to when I joined the staff here in 2006 as the children's ministry coordinator. And so I began planning and preparing um, creating and trying to build a program from nothing. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I can say that now because I didn't massively screw it up. 
But I did it. I didn't know what I was doing. I was praying. I was praying for God's presence. I was praying for him to be here. And God was showing up. God was bringing 100 kids on a Sunday morning and 200 kids to VBS. And it wasn't because of me. I was praying and he was moving. We had families that were coming to the church because their kids wanted to be here at the church. Um, But I still wasn't an intercessor, right? That wasn't me. I couldn't do that. Um, In my first few years here, I hosted a series of events called Take It Home Events, where we were teaching parents how to carry their faith through the week so that church wasn't just about Sunday mornings and what they did here, but we were teaching them these little nuggets of information that they could use during their week to carry God with them. And one of my favorite events, and I think was probably a favorite event of a lot of the families, we called it Family Blessings at the time. Now we call it Little Blessings. But we were basically teaching parents how to get into the Word, find a scripture, and pray it over your kids every single day. And what they didn't know at the time and what I didn't even fully understand at the time is we were teaching them how to intercede for their kids in that simple, simple way. So we don't need big, fancy words to pray. We don't need to have power or position to be able to intercede for other people. We just have to be willing to say yes. When we feel those nudges, when we feel those promptings, just say yes. So I want to share a quote with you. Uh, This is Richard Foster, and it's actually, this quote is in our How to Pray curriculum, which I'm in right now with a group of people, which is why it's just awesome that God put this in front of me this week. But we'll put it up here on the screen for you. He says, when we move from petition, which is asking for things for ourselves in prayer, to intercession, we are shifting the center of gravity from our own needs to the needs and concerns of others. Intercessory prayer is selfless, even self-giving prayer. And I think that's perfect because that's exactly what parents are. Parents are selfless and self-giving. But the good news is you don't even have to be a parent to be able to bless other people. You can bless your family and your friends, your spouse, your coworkers, your enemies. And that one's fun when you try to do that one. But God is still... um, teaching me every day that I don't have it all together. He's, he's very good at teaching me about that. Um, because I pray for people and nothing happens, or at least nothing that I can see is happening. Um, so what, what's the point, right? If we don't even see the movement or we don't see what's happening, I think what I'm learning is the point is we're saying yes. We're trusting the Father and we're saying yes to him. So before I turn things over to Andrew, um, I wanted to be able to give you something this morning to take with you, um, something tangible, um, you could write down um, so that you can try to step into intercession just by the simple act of blessing someone else. You got to see these parents bless their kiddos this morning and how powerful and impactful that is. Um, So I just have three easy things I encourage you to try when you are blessing someone. I think these are important to be able to do, and it just kind of gives us a guideline for how we can bless. The first one is um, use the person's name when you're blessing them. I think there's something so personal and so intimate about that. I know when I've had people pray for me before, when they use my name, when they're seeking the Lord, that's pretty powerful to my heart. The second one is pray scripture. Um, A blessing that most of you have probably heard before that comes out of Numbers, there's a song about it now, um, is in Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. So I'm going to read this to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his, the Lord face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is one of the blessings that a lot of our parents used through the years to speak over their children. My husband still speaks this over our kids every night before they go to bed. Um, 
and it's just so beautiful. So it doesn't have to be our words when we're praying. We don't have to try to come up with big, fancy words. We can simply read the words of the Lord. Um, but what I want to share with you is the verse that comes right after this blessing. So this is the Lord talking, and he says, So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. So he has told Moses and Aaron, use these words, bless your people with these words, and then I will bless them. So God is saying he will speak through our blessings. He will move through our blessings. And it doesn't just have to be, this is called the priestly blessing, the one that I read, but it doesn't have to be a priestly blessing from the Bible. It can be any scripture. Um, when you are studying the word, if you come across things that stand out to you, highlight them, mark them in your Bible so that when you're with someone, if you feel led to bless them, You've got a toolbox right here full of different beautiful words from the Lord. Um, a verse that has been my life first for the last couple of years is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can bless somebody with hope and bless somebody with joy um, just by speaking the words of the Lord. Um, and then the last one is just pray out loud. When you're blessing somebody, pray out loud because you can pray the same thing for yourself 25 times, but when somebody else comes to you and prays that same thing out loud over you, it can minister to you immediately and be so impactful. So when you're with somebody, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to be praying for you or I'll pray for you, say, hey, can I pray for you right now? Let's stop right now and pray. And if you need the words, they're right here for you. So I want to invite Andrew up, um, and as he's coming up, I thought it would be good just to practice this together. So I'm going to read a blessing over you, and I want you to know these are not my words. I am going to read them straight out of the Bible. Um, I feel like God led me to Ephesians 3 for this. So as I read this blessing over you, as I pray this over you, I invite you to close your eyes or hold out your hands, whatever feels right to you. So I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. 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 Thank you, Aubrey. I think Aubrey dealt with two of the reasons that we don't uh, intercede more, that we don't pray for others more. And one is that we don't think we are spiritual enough. That's for, you know, really spiritual people. I mean, I, I might throw some prayers up, but like God really answers really spiritual people's prayers. Um, instead of the real power in prayer isn't our spirituality, it's who we're praying to. So that's one thing. And then how would we do it? She gave an example of how you might pray, whether with them or, um, or from a distance. I want to address what she started to bring up, which was what about when we've actually tried to pray and we aren't seeing anything? We try to pray. We have been praying. We don't see anything. And then there can be like, well, it just doesn't, I don't think it actually makes a difference. I mean, God is God. He's probably just going to do, he's in control. He's probably going to just do whatever he wants anyway. So really, what's, what's the difference in prayer? Here's what Jesus said at one point. He's, it's Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up that they should always pray and not give up. Now, for time, I'm not going to get into the parable. He tells a parable, the purpose being he wants 
his disciples, people who follow him, to always pray and not give up. And at the end, after he's told that story, he says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who have confidence in God that even if they don't see it right away, they will always pray and not give up? They will keep on praying and not give up. I mean, one of the main messages I want to say today is that if we don't pray, it makes a difference. And if we do pray, it makes a difference. We may not see it right away, but the Bible is filled. And, and Michael Motes quoted this, quoted uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, last week talking about if Jesus prayed all the time, if Jesus, he is setting the example, it must matter. And so if we pray, it matters. If I go kill somebody, if I murder them, it matters. God's in control, and God will get his ultimate purposes done, but it matters if I murder them or not murder them, and we all agree with that. But somehow with prayer, it's like, well, if God's really in control of all things, it probably just doesn't even matter anyway. No, he has made it clear. We should always pray and not give up, and if we do, it'll make a difference, and if we don't, it'll make a difference. Now, a couple weeks ago in Upper Room, um, we have a time where people can, well, at any point, people can come and, and pray into the mic. And, and before John prayed, John um, Sunken prayed, he shared an illustration with us. So I'm going to have him, John's an elder in our church, I'm going to have him come up. I've asked him to share what he shared that night with us as it relates to, because I think it relates to this. I think, I don't know. Is it on? It is. So I had a dream last night. I got up here and kept forgetting what it was I was supposed to talk about. So I made some cheat sheets. Um, I have so, that dream every night, or at least every Saturday night. Before I even start, you know, I just want everybody to know that you, you need to understand that Jesus loves us, right, no matter what, and wants a relationship with each and every one of us no matter what, no matter where we are, no matter how we feel, no matter what we've done, he wants that relationship. When you, and, and you talk about persistence and perseverance and keep moving when you see nothing happen. The story I'm going to talk to you about is water the bamboo. Some of you are thinking, where are you going here? Everybody's seen bamboo, uh, not the little bamboo that you like, the wicker stuff, the giant bamboo, 90 to 100 feet tall, right? So what we need to all be, we need to be bamboo farmers, and here's how that works. When you're a bamboo farmer, you, you, you plant the seed. You plant the seed three to four feet in the ground, and you water it every day for a year, and nothing happens. Now, most of us, we'd make it through a week, two weeks, maybe a month, and say, well, I'm done. Forget that. That's not working. I'm moving on. But we said we're going to do this. I'm, I'm going to persist. I'm going to persevere, and I'm going to water it. So I water it and tend, to it and, and tend to it for another year, and nothing happens. Now, 90% of the people would be like, I'm not going back. So the third year, he said, okay, I committed. 
I'm going to water it again. So I water it again for a third year. Now, in the meantime, when all this is going, you could plant, you've planted cover crops to sustain you until the bamboo starts growing, which it's not growing, and it's been three years, right? Year four, when the bamboo breaks the surface, it grows 90 to 100 feet in 60 days. 90 to 100 feet in 60 days. So you have done that every day for three years. Now, as it grows, as it grows up, I mean, you, you talk about hearing the corn grow. We live in Iowa, right? You could probably literally hear that grow. But as it grows, it is shedding the old to make room for the new. So I'm going to repeat that. It is shedding the old to make room for the new. What you don't see is what was happening for three years or four years underground with the root system spreading 100 yards in every direction. You don't see that. That is Jesus and that's the Holy Spirit at work. Because without that root system, if it's 100 feet tall, the first storm that's going to come, what's going to happen? It's going to blow over. And without that root system to hold it up, it will never make it. So understand that, that that is our root system. There are things that, that you may think should be happening or, or want to be happening or praying about praying and not seeing it. Understand the roots are there that are growing, but we can't see it. But Jesus can. God can. And remember this, when it comes time to harvest the, the bamboo, it, has the, it literally has the tensile strength that is stronger than steel. Bridges built, boats built, shelters built that last for generations, last for generations. If we just allow the seed to germinate and grow and get the root structure, it will last for generations. So don't stop praying because it will make a difference in, in everybody's life, including your own, including your own. And the thing that you need to remember is this, the seeds to plant are all around us. They're everywhere. All that we have to do is plant the seed and keep watering and keep watering and keep watering and never give up. So would you pray with me? I'm going to try to get through this. I had this big extravagant prayer that I was thinking about doing, but uh, I'm not because Andrew said I had to shut up and get moving. So <laughs> I just invite you to do this. If you'd, if you'd hold out your hands in a receiving posture and repeat after me, and hopefully I don't mess this up. Holy Spirit, come into my mind. I receive your comfort. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. I receive your peace. Holy Spirit, come into my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. Amen. Yeah. So don't give up. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Uh, that's really good, and I'm kind of tempted just to give us 10 or 15 minutes just to think about all the meaning of that picture. 
But I have a couple things to share that I think are timely. So I'm going to take those, those few minutes and, and share those. When, when John um, told that story, gave that picture of the bamboo plant uh, in the upper room, I immediately had this passage from 2 Peter come to mind. Um, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the, day a Lord, with, the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And then this verse is what came to mind. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. That's all that came to my mind. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I've heard a day of the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years a day a lot of times. I kind of remember this other part with it that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. But what I haven't paid much attention to is the context. The context is, well, actually, I was going to try to save time, but let, I, it's more important that I cut other things. Let me let you hear what the Bible says. What comes before and after these two verses? Verse 3, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in, in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we who are in Jesus, who believe in Jesus, who have put our faith in Jesus, are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, some of you might be thinking, Aubrey just gave a great message. John just gave a great message. Why are you reading that? But here's why. This is just true of me. Uh, if you can bring up that first slide, Adam. I wasn't even going to use these, but I'm going to now. Uh, I can't remember what it says. That's why I need it. Okay. Is our perspective deep down, God, you owe me? Or is it, God, you love me? And I just bounce back and forth between I'm not worthy, I'm no good, God shouldn't listen to anyway, I'm, it's my fault, that's part of it. But the other part of it is, why isn't this happening? 
Why, should, why would you do this? Why won't you answer this prayer? Why won't this take place? Why won't, why? Because really, deep down, I think, God, you owe me. Now, I won't say it to God that way. But when I talk to other people, that might be what they think. If you can go to the next slide. If my mentality, deep down, is, God, you owe me, I'll complain a lot. I will complain a lot. I complain a lot. I do. I complain all the time about everything, about other people, about what I don't have, about if I'm not complaining to people out loud, I'm complaining in my mind. And when I have an attitude that says, God, my life should be better. I should have this. They get this. They have this, this. Then really deep down, I have this mentality, God, you owe me. You owe me. And now, since you owe me, then what I'm going to emphasize is like, see, you're not doing that, didn't answer that prayer, didn't do this, didn't do that. What does God owe me? What does he owe me? Nothing. I wouldn't exist without him. You know what the Bible says God owes me? The wages of sin is death. Humanity is owed a death sentence. That's the reality. Now, the next one. You know how that verse goes on? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God doesn't owe me, but he loves me. And he loves you. And he gave you life. And he took away the death sentence by taking it on himself at the cross. And he wants to do good things in your life. And he's always there for you. He promises never to leave you or forsake you. He doesn't have to do you that. But he loves you. He wants to. So if you go to the, the last slide, where it says, if, God, if my attitude deep down is, man, God loves me. He gives me access. He, lets me, he says, pray, it'll make a difference. God loves me. It will lead to thanksgiving. It will lead to me thanking him. It'll lead to me noticing what he has promised, what he has done, what he's going to do. All right. Forgive me. I'm going a little bit on, but I've got to talk about this today. I've got to. And I'm sorry, it's a mixture. This isn't all tied together well. It's one thing to say, pray and keep praying because you'll see answers. That is true. I believe it with all my heart. But what about when I have prayed for Steve Mott more than anything else practically, as much as anything else I can think of for the last four years, and I prayed for lots of things for Steve, but specifically that God would take away the cancer and it would never come back. And we had Steve's funeral this week. So what about that? Because I think for some of us, the, the, the prayers that don't get answered are so painful that we just are like, ah, I think I'm done with the praying. I don't want to hope. I don't want to try. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want that pain. So I'll get to how I am dealing with God not answering that specific prayer at the end. But I want to mention a few things first.
and this, this is one of it, when all kinds of prayers have went to Steve, for Steve over these years, he got diagnosed with cancer the first time 13 years ago. If all those prayers hadn't went, we don't know what his life would, would his life have went 13 years? We don't know. It's possible the prayers prolonged his life. Here's another thing about Steve. Here's how Steve ended his life. He ended his life well with the Lord. Now, Steve Mott, for a guy that has cancer who's going through multiple chemo treatments, you'd think if he's grumpy, you get it, right? You get it if he's grumpy. He was one of the most encouraging people I've ever been around for the last five years. His son said he never heard him complain. His son never heard him complain. I want, now that's the kind of guy Steve was without cancer, but how do you still be that person when you're going through chemo? And I wonder if prayers helped him be the person he wanted to be for those last five years, which is supernatural to me. He, now I actually did hear him complain. There were a few times where he wanted a safe space. He did not want to bring it on anyone else. He needed a safe space. And one of the few times that he contacted me to get together because he had just heard some discouraging news and it was so rough on him. He's going to come meet with me. I'm in my office with Mike Moats. I don't know what we're talking about. We don't talk about much of, it, of consequence. But we're talking. But I know this. We did not, I did not bring up Steve Mott one time. And we went to pray, and at the end, and as we're praying, Mike says, God, Steve Motts just keeps coming to mind, so I'm going to pray for Steve. And he starts praying for Steve and praying for Steve and praying for Steve. And we walk out of the office door, and there's Steve. Steve, whenever he's, he's got a little spark in his eye, whenever I, you know. No, he was like this. And I said, Steve, we were just praying for you. Mike, you just came to mind. With Mike. And when I told him later in my office, like, I hadn't brought you up, but Mike disturbed you just watched the encouragement come. I think that happens all the time, whether we tell the person we're praying or not. If someone comes to mind and we pray, something gets lifted in them. Now, I did not put all this together until getting ready for the funeral. But we would have men's prayer. And there were times when we had men's prayer and there'd be gatherings, 10, 8, 6, 10, 12, 20, that there were just three of us, multiple times, Steve, Tony, and I. That's it. Okay, I knew that. Steve was pretty faithful at signing up for the prayer room. In the upper room, there were a, sometimes, like last time we had 30-some people, we have 20-some people, we have six. There were many times where there were less than five people and Steve Mott was one of them. There were times when I would come into the building at, on Friday and it was dark in here and there's Steve Mott walking around the building, praying in the building. This is before prayer builders. Steve's like one of the original prayer builders. So the last time I'm at his house, Camille and I are there and Steve says, and Teresa, the four of us are there, and Steve says, oh, I just wish I had a bigger impact on people. Now, Teresa and I, we roll our eyes, we look at each other like, because seriously, if, 
if Steve Mott didn't have a big impact on people, then the rest of us mere mortals are really in trouble. Like, he, he had such a huge impact. I told that story at the funeral. There was multiple of us that, that spoke at the funeral and that played at the funeral. But in my, in my little part, I, I've shared that at the funeral because I couldn't get it out of my head. Why did, what are you talking about? And then I thought, it dawned on me, he wishes he had more eternal impact. He blessed so many people, but he wanted to see more people come to Jesus because that is what matters most. The, the thing that matters most is that we know God, that we, we're connected to God for our eternity. That's what matters most, and that's what he, And after I shared that at the funeral, Teresa said, she asked him about that, and he said that, that was it. He wanted to see more people come to see Jesus. Now, at his funeral were a number of people who I, let's just put it this way, who aren't regular church tenders. I have never seen a response to a funeral like that funeral. Where when you get back to the church, people are telling different ones of us, I need Jesus. Where someone who's gone to church for decades says, I didn't know God like that. I have never felt as close to God as I did in that funeral service. I'm not talking about one or two conversations. I'm just talking about a whole number of them because God was here. Now listen, we have been praying for more of God's presence. Last Sunday, we prayed for the people that would be here in this funeral and, and the whole room was filled with his presence. And I think it's us praying combined with all of Steve's prayers being released like the bamboo plant starts coming up after the seed goes down and dies. There are so many more people that Steve prayed for that are going to come to faith in Jesus. They're starting to. They're going to. I'm about done. I'm about done. So the worship team can come up. So uh, this morning, I, I have, it's funny, I woke up at three in the morning and I had very clearly, after about an hour and a half, this idea of, what it's like to be a person who thinks God owes them and they complain versus God loves them. So they're thankful. And I had a great day with that mentality. And the last three days, and I'd just been off and I couldn't figure out why. I came, I spent a couple hours in the prayer room this morning and it just dawned on me. I've been a pastor but I have not grieved my friend yet. And so this morning in the prayer room, I grieved. And what came to my mind was that those kids were praying for those of us who lost someone. And I'm one of those people. And I felt God's love come into the room. Because it makes a difference those kids prayed. God answers those prayers. He, he hears every prayer. He hears every prayer. So we need to keep praying and not give up. 
And we most especially need to pray that people would come to know Jesus for real. For real. Because in the end, that is what's going to matter. Do we know Jesus? Do we help other people to know Jesus? That is what's going to matter. So we're going to go into a couple songs. And I hope that through those songs, I mean, I'm looking through the room, seeing all kinds of other people who've lost loved ones, even in the last week or so. But beyond that, wherever we're needing, I, I think the Lord will minister. But also, I think we can use these time during the songs. If people come to mind, let's pray the blessing their way. Let's pray for others. Receive what God wants to do, and let's pray for others. Before we go, we're going to do two songs. Matt, I think we need to, you need to sing a little something else first. I don't know what. No pressure. No pressure. So I'll start praying, and Matt, maybe you can sing something. God, you love us. You love us. You love us. You chose us. You want us. You want us close to you. You listen to us. You respond to us. For all who say, I want you in my life, Jesus, you say, I forgive you. I promise to be with you always. Come into the places in us that resist that or that don't believe it. Reveal your love to us this morning, Jesus. Reveal your love. Reveal the love of the Father to us. Fill this room, Jesus, with your presence, with your love, with your power. Fill in the empty spaces, God. Come to our sad places.
Thank you.